Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Alleluia! Christ is risen! Good morning, Epiphany Church. Pastor Brian here on our Yellow Light Sunday. I hope you enjoyed yesterday's beautiful weather and spent some time outdoors. It was good to see many of you at our Zoom pizza night last Friday. A special thanks to Miriam's Table and Lisa Hauser for accommodating us. And thanks to everyone who prayed for the wedding that took place last weekend. Mr. and Mrs. Jason and Hannah Wilson are now, are now married and have finished their honeymoon. And I have to tell you, it was truly a joy to bless their union during these wild and unpredictable times. They send the church there, thanks for borrowing me last weekend. Today we're continuing along in our series, The Gospel According to Genesis. We have another round of special guests assisting with the service this week. I'm calling them Epiphany's cheerleaders, friends of ours from across the diocese and beyond who are remembering us fondly and lifting us up in prayer. I hope you enjoy our service today led by our special guests. In the meantime, we've got a few announcements that we'll share at the end of the service for the good of the church. And as always, you remain in my prayers. And as always, Jesus rose from the dead, so everything's going to be okay. The Lord is risen indeed, my friends. Alleluia. Good morning, Epiphany. This is David Zoll. Uh, long time no see. Uh, it was so good to be with you back in March. That was my last travel date on the book tour, maybe my last travel date for a long time, so I have very fond memories of our time together. Anyway, it's an honor and a privilege to be with you this morning. So let's start off today with the confession of sin. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Good morning, Epiphany. This is Sherry Hobby. It was good to be with you all as one of your supply clergy during the clergy search search process back in 2018, and it was good to be with you at your 10-year dinner last fall. Our psalm for today is Psalm 148. Praise the Lord, O praise the Lord of heaven. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all you angels of his. Praise him, all his host. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, all you highest heavens, and you waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he spoke the word, and they were made. He commanded, and they were created. He has made them stand fast forever and ever. He has given them a law which shall not be broken. 
Praise the Lord upon earth, you sea monsters and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and fog, wind and storm, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars. Beasts and all cattle, creeping things and birds of the air. Kings of the earth and all peoples. Princes and all rulers of the world. Young men and maidens, old men and children together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name only is excellent and his praise above the heaven and earth. He shall exalt the horn of his people, and all his faithful shall praise him. The children of Israel, the people who are near him, praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Good morning, Epiphany. This is Father Jeff Wiley at your neighbor parish, Christ Church, Greensburg. I hope today's service finds you well in health and well in the Lord during these turbulent times. Our scripture reading today is the whole of Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have begotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I? my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. 
and the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who find him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehegiel, and Mehegiel fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Lemek, and Lemek took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubulacane. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal, Cain, was Nima. Lemek said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lemek, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lemek's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring, offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The story goes that when the first Christian missionaries went to the Anglo-Saxons in the British Isles, the story of Adam and Eve didn't really track with them. These were, after all, big, bad, violent, strong pagans with their own pantheon of distinct deities. And then there was this other layer of lesser supernatural creatures that one could interact with, like elves and fairies and leprechauns and dragons. Also, sacred trees and, and sacred sites. And so, you know, when God says, don't eat, and then Adam and Eve proceed to eat, the Anglo-Saxons were like, so what? We have plenty of stories of people eating off of sacred trees. Why is your God so weird about it? But then... The big bad pagans turned the page to Genesis chapter 4. And when they read the story of Cain and Abel, they absolutely flipped. What? <laughs> they said. Uh, a guy killed his own brother? You see, family was extremely important to the Anglo-Saxons. And fratricide, the, the fancy word for killing one's brother, was a sin to top all sins. And it made sense to the Anglo-Saxons that sin would enter the world 
through a fratricide, through this breaking of the family bond, and it gave the Christian missionaries an opportunity to share the gospel with that community. It was it was the the entry to talking about the gospel was through Cain and Abel. And it worked, in fact. One of the great stories of the pre-Christian Anglo-Saxon era was this epic poem called Beowulf. You might have read it in high school. And the, the wicked, big, bad monsters of this epic poem called Beowulf were the monstrous Grendel, who detested the joyous fracas of drinks and partying at King Hrothgar's Mead Hall. I mean, you can tell this is very English, can't you? And then there was also Grendel's mother, the wicked creature who had would have avenged Grendel's death um, had the heroic Beowulf had not been there to kill her too, right? Uh, but the, the text goes out of its way to say that both Grendel and Grendel's mother were, quote, descendants of Cain. They were descendants. They were products of this wicked and fratricidal event that takes place in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, that is where we are today in our series, The Gospel According to Genesis. Last week, we discussed the great cataclysm, that God created a world to be very good, and God placed humans in its midst to enjoy and prosper in this very good world. God provided for man and woman's every need, but Satan tempted Adam and Eve into mutiny and rebellion, rebellion and mutiny that took the form of a forbidden fruit. And our story picks up from there, um, Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden. And what we're going to find today is that things are going to spiral out of control very quickly for these two humans living outside of God's intended home for them. Eve, uh, who is, um, uh, who, who's been cursed because she's woman and now childbirth is a cursed thing and so she's going to experience the curse of child pangs. She's going to suffer through the pain of childbirth and uh, she is given her first child in the post-fallen world, um, the elder brother named Cain. And soon follows Abel, his younger brother. And so Cain, the elder brother, um, farms for a living, and Abel, the younger, tends to the sheep. And so these two brothers have their own kind of vocations squared away. They're doing their own thing. Older brother's farming, younger brother shepherding, and the two bring sacrifices to the God of the universe. They offer up the fruit of their labor to this God who created their parents and indirectly created them too. And uh, they're bringing the, the fruit of the ground. That's what Cain brings, uh, an offering of what he has grown. And uh, the second, Abel, brings an offering of the firstborn among the sheep. And they've already been butchered and it's ready to eat. And, and so you have two offerings that are presented to God uh, from two creatures who are there to rightfully Right, they are there to, to rightfully acknowledge the creator of the universe and to give them to give him back something that is good from their abundance. Um, but for reasons we don't fully understand, we aren't given enough detail in the story to this, but God is going to accept the offering from the younger brother, Abel, and he's going to reject the offer of the older brother, Cain. Again, why? We don't know. Maybe it's something to do with the quality of the offering. Maybe it's something to do with the state of Abel's heart um, versus the state of Cain's heart. We just aren't certain why. But for reasons unknown to us, 
God accepts the offering from the younger brother and rejects the offering of the older. And God actually has words with Cain about the matter, right? Because Cain actually looks crestfallen. He looks angry. God pulls Cain aside metaphorically and says, Hey, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And this is a remarkable word from God, I think. It's as if God is giving advice to Cain about life in this world of sin. Don't blame your brother, God says to Cain. Look inward. Examine your own actions. And maybe you'll be accepted next time. This is a note of compassion here, I think. God says to Cain, look, it's okay. Learn from this and give it another shot next time. But there's a warning in this note of compassion too. Uh, In your failure, Cain, sin is looking to overcome you. Fight it because it will roll over you. It will rule over you if you are not careful. Sadly, uh, Cain does not take God's advice. And after the two were presumably alone in, in a field, Cain murders his brother in a fit of jealous rage. And so one generation into humanity from Adam and Eve, we have a murder. And again, not just any murder, but the killing of one's brother. Things have gone from bad to worse for Adam and Eve, right? They're removed from the garden. They are cursed uh, in the things that they do. They themselves individually are not cursed, but the task of work has been cursed and the task of giving birth has been cursed. And so they're wrestling with the existential problems of that, plus the shame and the blame and all the identity things. And now they are left to grieve the loss of their younger son who died at the hand of the elder son. It is truly an occasion for grief. Um, But after the murder, God finds Cain and he plays them. Hey, Cain, where's Abel? It's reminiscent of God's question to um, Adam and Eve. You know, hey, where are you? (laughs) You know, as he's looking in the garden to find them and they're hiding in their nakedness. God says to Cain, hey, Cain, where's Abel? It's a question that has the response baked in already. He knows where Abel is and Cain's response gives him away. Am I my brother's keeper? As if, in some sense, um, Cain could absolve himself from being responsible of his brother's whereabouts. And so God doesn't take this for a second. God passes down to Cain um, a curse. And what's remarkable is that in the garden, Adam and Eve themselves are not cursed. It's an interesting thing. Cursed is the ground, and cursed is the act of giving birth, right? But there is no explicit curse on the man and the woman. But now God passes down a curse onto a specific person. Um, that God punishes Cain specifically. And his curse is to wander. Um, that he is a farmer and the ground will no longer submit to his cultivation. He is one step below Adam's curse of toil, right? Because you know Adam, with hard work, can still have a stable life with some measurable of, of fruitful farming, right? Um, for Adam, you know, tilling the ground and farming, it's possible. It's hard, but it's possible. But Cain was the family farmer. That's what he knows how to do. 
And God curses the ground, uh, Cain, and says, look, you will no longer be able to be a farmer. You're no longer going to be able to farm. Uh, you are now forced to wander, and you cannot settle down. Your punishment is to wander, to leave, and to go about the earth and essentially beg for help and sustenance from those around him. Um, and so because Cain has stained the earth with the blood of his brother, um, the, the, the earth refuses to respond to his, um, his desires, his attempts at cultivating it. And so Cain has his vocation and, and many other things too, his livelihood, his sense of purpose, you know, all of those things that come along with vocation. Cain's vocation is removed from him. Cain begs for grace for his crime. We don't know if it's genuine or not, but there is some measure of grace given, right? Because while Cain is to be exiled and to wander the earth, he is given a particular mark to protect his own life from retribution. God says if anyone kills Cain, uh, it will be revisited on the killer sevenfold. Um, sure enough, though, Cain, uh, the text tells us that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain has left his family, and he's also left the presence of God. He goes on to establish a city. Um, this, uh, this, um, this is something that happens later on in the chapter. And, and some theologians have wondered whether or not this is some sort of rejection of the curse, because his curse was to wander and to not be able to settle down and put down roots. But for, for reasons, you know, not knowing, Cain goes on and uh, establishes a city east of Eden. Um, and the chapter ends after this whole Cain and Abel saga with a short biography on Cain's descendants. We see that Cain's descendants are responsible for some of the greater gifts of this life, right? Um, that some of the things Cain's descendants put together are really important and good. They develop metalworking and music, right? Uh, that's that's some of the things that come from from Cain's uh, descendants, and one of Cain's descendants is named Lamech, and he's actually quite reprehensible in all of these things. Um, he's the first human in Genesis to take two wives. He's the first polygamist to exist, and in the concept context of Genesis, um, polygamy is presented as I, I think greed that God gave Adam only one wife just you know not too long ago in this book of Genesis. So it would be selfish to think that he would need two, as if Lamech was so important he needed two helpers to navigate life, as opposed to just the monogamous one uh, helper that God gave Adam. And he's also a murderer like his ancestor Cain. We don't know the details, but um, this Lamech character retaliated against someone who attacked him, and he's quite the braggart about it. And it's this vainglorious attempt to kind of outvenge God, um, to go beyond God, because he says that anyone who harms him, Lamech says, anyone who harms him will be avenged 77-fold, uh, multiplying God's promise of vengeance to the people who would harm Cain. And in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of Cain and Abel and death and exile and wandering and crazy descendants, all of this coming together, in the midst of all of this, we do find that the original family is gifted with uh, real consolation. Uh, Seth is born to Adam and Eve as a gift, not like a replacement per se, but a consolation for the loss of Abel. 
And Seth grows up and starts a family, and the text says that people began to call upon the name of the Lord, which is a biblical way of saying that these early sinners started to worship God in earnest. They started to go to ancient primordial church, is what that means. There's so much despair in today's chapter, isn't there? There's the first murder, this fratricide. And it's a stain on the human condition as well that the first person to die of murder was an otherwise innocent person, someone who had done nothing wrong. And we see a man who was warned of the consequences of sin who did not heed them. We see a family falling apart. We witness an unrepentant and angry man who was jealous and removes himself from the presence of God out of spite and anger and resentment. Cain excommunicates himself. Our reading today is full of bad news all around. But maybe you're like the Anglo-Saxons. I mean, this is a story clearly full of bad news, and they connected to it immediately. Maybe you don't resonate with the story of the forbidden fruit tree, um, but you can see the, the, the family tragedies playing out in this family in the same way it's played out in your family. You may not have experienced fratricide. Maybe you have. I certainly hope not. But uh, the question of... Who is the better sibling is one that almost every child experiences. Follow that um, childhood competition with family who fly off the rails like Lamech, who took the word of God and the gift of God and said, I want more. This isn't enough for me. I need more wives. And then they go on to, to live lives of libertine embarrassment, right? Um, some of you may have murderers in your family tree. Again, I certainly hope not, but... Let's not cross it off the list. This is, you know, the real world. And last week's sermon highlighted marital discord as a result of this cataclysm of the forbidden fruit. And this week's sermon highlights the discord that exists between siblings and the extended family tree. And so if you've ever fought with a sibling, if you've ever been at disagreement with your extended family, um, you're experiencing a version of Genesis 4. You're experiencing a part of the fall of the world, a part of the great cataclysm in your own life, just in the same way that uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Seth all have. Now, it may not end that way. It may not end that way, but that doesn't mean you're not experiencing your own smaller version of the same struggle that happens today in this gospel reading, well, in this Old Testament reading, but you get what I'm saying. So what is the gospel in Genesis chapter 4? Is there any good news to be gleaned? One psychologist noted that this passage, along with all the other passages here in early Genesis, are unique because the longer you sit with them, the more deep truths you can take away. And there's lots of news that can be found here among the bad. Um, there's a lot of good news that can be found here among the bad. But I want to focus in, in particular, on um, one biblical Let's call it an incongruity for now. There's a better word for it, which we'll use later. But I want to focus in on one biblical um, question that arises for people who know their Bibles. Did you ever stop to think that the same God who gave Israel the law, which explicitly says that murderers are to be executed themselves, did you ever stop to think that that same God did not demand the death of Cain? Did you ever stop to consider that eye for an eye God, that tit for tat God of the Old Testament that everyone is so fond of loathing, that he lets a murderer keep his own life? 
If we answer that question, I think we're going to find the gospel in our reading today. And here's how I would approach this question with you this morning. First, step one, if you will, um, to finding the gospel in our reading, uh, it comes from the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament authors view the story of Cain and Abel as this morality tale. And in Jude and in 1 John 3, the apostles admonish us to, ju- uh, to choose. Shall we be like Cain or shall we be like Abel? Shall we be like Cain, whose wicked and unrepented family multiplies the curse of Eden to make the world exponentially worse? Um, shall we be like Cain the murderer or Lamech the philanderer? Or shall we be like Abel, who offers a better sacrifice and whose descendants go to church? Um, that's a question that's posed at least twice, maybe more often, in the New Testament. Uh, you know, who are you? Are you a Cain? Are you an Abel? Second thing I want us to consider, step two to finding the gospel today. Let's consider God's warning to Cain. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Let's recognize offhandedly that um, not doing well is not the same thing in uh, as a sin in our reading, right? Um, sin crouching at the door is something that happens when we do not do well. Uh, it's not the same as not doing well. Um, so if you're linking sin in your performance, that's really not what we're talking about. Um, but if we fail a test at school or we don't perform our best on a task at work or fail at upholding our marriage vows or otherwise don't achieve our goals, you see sin is crouching at the door, whether it manifests itself in rage like Cain did in his circumstances or maybe um, you're someone like me who who would experience uh, a failure and then go to eat as gluttons over it, right? As a glutton. Or maybe um, we seek to numb the sting through lust. Or maybe we just shut down and go into sloth mode because we don't think work is valuable or worth doing anymore, right? Um, you know, this is a season where lots of us are in shutdown mode, but not because we're, we have sloth. Um, but uh, a lot of this this not doing well is, is something a lot of us in the workforce are experiencing, right? Um, that There are so many of us who are trying to juggle the children being at home. Many of us are juggling the, the, the stresses of working online and telecommuting while also being a homeschool teacher, while also being a babysitter. And, um, you know, a lot of folks are linking their, their performance with their success. And so then, of course, we, we manifest that in a lot of different ways. We start yelling at our spouses. We start yelling at our children. We start um, saying, forget it um, when it comes to really important things like childhood education. You get what I'm saying, right? Um, that, um, that, that if we are not doing well, um, that's not the same thing as a sin, but it is an opportunity, a foothold for sin to come in and start really messing things up. And so God's word to Cain was, is, you must rule over it. And if you read the rest of the Bible, you'll read about only one person who was truly able to rule over all their sin. And you can ask him about it now if you like. His name is Jesus, and he's the second person of the Trinity. And through the Holy Spirit, you can pray to him. And Again, God warns Cain that sin's desire is contrary to him. And it's the same for you, too, that sin's desire is contrary to you. It is self-destructive. And isn't that a good way to describe what happens to Cain in our reading? That Cain lets his wrath get the better of him, and he kills his brother. And he lets his fear get the better of him, and so he just leaves. He leaves his family altogether and becomes 
a wanderer. And step two is to see that um, that God gives Cain this warning. So step three is that in the great morality tale of this reading, we are presented with a choice of Cain or Abel. But there is a third option that God wants us to see. Because you can be Abel who worships God, and you can be Cain who lets sin get the best of him and run away forever. Or you can be the repentant Cain. You can be the repentant Cain. You can be the Cain that God was desperately trying to pull out of this vengeful and angry failure. Um, you can be the Cain who confessed his disappointment about not doing well and, you know, thought about how to do better next time. That is the Cain that God wanted to come out of this situation. That Cain, you see, would be welcomed into God's arms. That Cain, the humble and repentant Cain, was what God had hoped to intervene and bring out. But sin got in the way. And so even in his failure, though, you still see a gracious God giving Cain a mark to protect him from the blood vengeance that is very common in the ancient world, even when Cain really wasn't that repentant. But even in his failure to repent and seek forgiveness, even after all of his, you know, after all his parents ate from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, like Cain should have known better. <laughs> he has the knowledge of good and evil, right? And so even after his failure, he doesn't really, you know, repent to seek forgiveness. But in the middle of all of that, God still gives him a mark of protection. And the result is a world with, you know, metal and music. Um, but what I hope you would take away from today's reading is how painstaking that God works to bring about repentance from those who have gone astray. Um, I want you to see a God who takes wayward sinners and marks them to spare them judgment. I want you to see a God who intervenes and tries to keep the worst from happening. A God who wants good things for his children who are otherwise errant and wayward. The same God who made a very good world for us to inhabit is the same God who tried to intervene and be helpful when one of his creations didn't navigate his sacrifice correctly. I hope you've seen that Cain has been marked as a murderer under God's protection, identified as a sinner, and untouchable. And uh, today, this morning, friends, I hope you see yourself marked as a murderer under God's protection, or maybe a liar under God's protection, or a hypocrite under God's protection, an adulterer, or, or a workaholic, or a glutton, or a rageaholic under God's protection, right? You may not have the mark of Cain, right? Uh, something that demarcates you as um, sort of set aside to be cursed and wander the earth and don't touch him because well, you know, that would that then God's going to have words with you. But you do have a mark, and it is the mark of Christ. It is the mark of the cross. Um, they're, they're similar, but they aren't similar, right? Because they're both marks given by God, um, and they're given to sinners. But one protects you in the, in the, in the regular life now, um, but the other protects you on this life and the life to come. Um, the mark of, of Cain promises retribution if the bearer of the mark is harmed, but the mark of the cross offers its uh, prosecutor the same salvation and forgiveness as the one who is wearing it. And the biggest difference, right? How do you get the mark of Christ as opposed to the mark of Cain? How do you get the good mark, which leads to all of the blessings of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins and the reconnection and uh, fellowship of the Holy Spirit? What is the difference between the mark of Cain and the mark of Christ? It's actually right simple. Repentance 
and the humility to admit when you're wrong. That's, that's it. That is the difference between the mark of Cain and the mark of Christ. As gracious as the mark of Cain is, dear friends, it is not good enough. It protects you in this life from vengeance, but it does not spare you judgment from the world to come. And we read about Cain's descendants this week, but next week we're going to see something tremendous and terrible happen. All of Cain's descendants will perish in a natural disaster of global proportions. His whole lineage will be wiped out. Friends, I tell you this morning, in closing, that sin's desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. And if you cannot, when you cannot, that's all of us, by the way, when we cannot, there is one who can rule over sin and wishes to do so on your behalf. There is a way to be freed of the rule of sin in your life. It is the mark of the cross, the sign of an ancient death and resurrection. And so let us call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and be freed from sin's contrary desire, lest we all suffer the same fate as Cain. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, Epiphany. This is the Reverend Canon Karen Stevenson, Brian's go-to substitute preacher for when he's a Sunday off. It's good to be with you this morning. Would you please join me in saying together the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Epiphany. This is Bishop Hobby. It's a joy to be with you all this morning on your Sunday service podcast. Please know that you all remain in my prayers and in the prayers of the diocese. Would you pray with me, please? Here's the collect of the day. O God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. O God, our King, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, you conquered sin, put death to flight, and gave us the hope of everlasting life. Redeem all our days by this victory. Forgive our sins, banish our fears, make us bold to praise you and to do your will. 
and steel us to wait for the consummation of your kingdom on the last great day, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We also remember those on Epiphany's prayer list, Jill Ann Palmer, Ligonier Camp and Conference, Pine Springs Camp, Valley Youth Network, Marilyn Couch's daughter Heather, Marjorie Moyer's sister Susan, Wendy Lint's son Scott, Beth Gerald's friend Danielle, and those among us who have asked for anonymous prayer. We remember also the prayer requests shared at Epiphany's check-in groups this week. Almighty God, we entrust all who are dear to us, especially those on our church prayer list, to your never-failing care and love for this life and the life to come, knowing that you are doing for them better things than we can desire or pray for. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Here's a prayer for our time of conflict or social distress. Increase, O God, the spirit of neighborliness among us, that in peril we may uphold one another, in suffering tend to one another, and in homelessness, loneliness, or exile befriend one another. Grant us brave and enduring hearts that we may strengthen one another until the disciplines and testing of these days are ended, and you again give peace in our time. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And here's a prayer for a time of conflict or social distress. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your Spirit, that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you, for the honor of your name. Amen. Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplications to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will grant their requests. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come, life everlasting. Amen. Here are a few announcements before we end our time together this morning. Last week, our bishop sent us some guidelines for what it looks like for Epiphany to begin meeting together in the coming weeks and months. Related to those guidelines, I've also been in communication with our friends at Bethlehem about our use of the Moriah Chapel and their hopes of keeping their community safe. We're not quite ready to announce anything yet, but know that we, in particular, Senior Warden Mike Hauser and I, are working on a plan that will soon allow us to have limited but meaningful face-to-face connection. In the meantime, check-in groups continue this week and expect the last episode or two of our digital Philippians devotional. And now hear this blessing, friends. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, 
equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you now and remain with you always. Amen. Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.